theyeshiva.net. How do you know? Vihina Yaakov, yeah, the last line, Mamash Chavdala, the second column, 47, the last line. So Yaakov is coming back after a long journey and he wants to meet and reconcile with his brothers. He says, Vihina Yaakov, so he right away explained, Yaakov and Esau represent two different realities. One is Oilam Atoyu, one is Oilam Hatikun, and Oilam Atoyu, the lights were too great to become enclosed and defined by vessels, by containers, by utensils. They departed from the vessels and they remain what we call makif, peripheral, where the kalim break and therefore Esau is really split. There's Esau below and there's Esau in his source. Esau below is called a rush and Esau in his source is what? Is actually an expression of profound energy, profound light, which in many ways is deeper, more intense, higher, more sublime than the light of Olam HaTikun, which is mitigated, compromised, diluted, and limited, and manifested and enclosed within the containers of Tikkun. And this explains, the Balatanya explains elsewhere and also earlier, that uh, the Gemara says in Masech Tesoyte, the Targum Yonis and Benazil says, Reisha the Esav Be'itvide Yitzchak. Esav died and his head rolled into the grave of Yitzchak, and his head remains buried with his father in the bosom of Yitzchak. L'chayret is a halacha in Shulchan Aruch, ein koivrin tzadik eitzel rasha. One does not bury a tzadik near a rasha, and here it's not only near, it's one grave mamish, one cave. You have Yitzchak together with Esav. The pshat is, reisha de Esav be'itvide Yitzchak. There's the head of Esav and there's the body of Esav, which symbolically represents Esav in his head and Esav in his manifestation. Esav in his head is actually very deeply connected to Yitzchak. Esav in his head, if you go to Esav's source, if you go to Esav's makif, the makif of Esav is a tremendous oir of Kedusha, tremendous oir. In a way, the oir is more powerful even than the oir of Yaakov because it's completely intense. There's absolutely no limitation to it. It's very, very infinite. The tragedy of it is it's not contained. In other words, it's not integrated into the conscious self, which is the difference between Ur Makif and Ur Pnimi, as we explained numerous times. Ur Pnimi means an Ur that is consciously integrated. In other words, you're cognizant of it. You make sense of it. You somehow control it. It's part of you. You could make it your identity. It's considered part of you. Why? Because the Ur is limited, and it comes in into your identity in a fashion that... You could make peace with it. It can define who you are because it's relatable to the you. The Ur Makif is beyond you, which doesn't mean it doesn't have an impact on you. It could have a tremendous impact on you and maybe even deeper than the Ur Pnimi. But the impact is in a way that the consciousness of it is not recognizable at all. In fact, it's so intense that you may not even be consciously aware of it or aware only of certain elements of it and not aware of its source, not aware of its nature, not aware of its identity, but it's nonetheless very, very powerfully there. That's called the Ermakif. So Esau's tragedy is that his head and his body are two completely different realities. His head is by Yitzchak, and the body of Esau, which represents how he processes himself, Esau is completely different than Yitzchak. 
No, or pnimi is not keli. Yeah, or pnimi is the or that infuses the keli. It goes into the pnimius of the keli. But it's a type of or that is custom made to the consciousness of the keli, to the chemistry of the keli. So that the keli can, the keli can is uptight, the keli can relate to it, the keli can be inspired by it. The keli gets filled by it. Filled by it here, we don't mean spatially, we mean spiritually. Filled by it means I'm filled by it in a way that actually relates relates to me. I go away with something that I can call mine. Or makif, I could never call mine. I may completely not even be aware of it. Not because it doesn't have an impact. The impact may be so intense that I can't even be aware of how, it, how much it is. Because if I'm aware of it, I'm already defining it in some way. And really it defines me much more than I define it. And that's Ace of story. And therefore, Esav is the Eilam and Yaakov is Eilam HaTikva. So now he continues, he says, V'hine Yaakov Choshav Sh'Esav Nezbarikva. Well, in Eilam HaTikon, the difference is that the Eir is limited according to the Keli. In Eilam HaToyu, the Eir is so powerful and the Keli could not contain it. So therefore, basically, it's overloaded, like we spoke about this, the electricity, and it crashes from its own intensity. In Eilam Atikon, the oil is compromised. The oil is mitigated. It's like when you dilute the wine with water. The oil is weaker. And therefore, it's limited according to the keli. It suits the keli. It works with the keli. It fits the keli. It fits the keli. The oil goes through a process of tzimtzum. The oil goes through a process of restriction. So Eilam HaToyu was destroyed. On the debris of Eilam HaToyu, Hashem built Eilam Atikon. Usually when you got a house or you have a previous house, so you clean up the old house, and you get rid of all the debris and all the rubble and all the garbage, then you build your new house fresh, right? Besides in Yerushalayim, in Yerushalayim, you're not allowed to get rid of the old, because it's layers and layers and layers, thousands of years. So therefore you build on the... So in Yerushalayim, there's nothing, you know... You, huh? <laughs> you go to the basement of your house in Yerushalayim, you go a little lower, you're going to find some Roman... <laughs> Some Roman Shirayim or the Bayeshishin, Bayesheni before, right? Something you're going to find. Because it's built so many layers and layers. On a spiritual level, it's not that Olam Hatoyu was destroyed. It was basically, it exploded. And what happened was the light departed. The Kalim fell and broke, and they don't know who they are anymore. So Hashem cleaned up the mess, and He said, let's build a new world. He built Olam Hatikun on the debris of Olam Hatoyu without cleaning it up. So everywhere in Tikkun, there's still shards of toyu everywhere. What is tikkun? Tikkun is a whole different process. In tikkun, the oil fits the keli. The oil suits the keli. The oil is much more limited. The expression of the Arizal is that in toyu, you have oiris mirubim and kelim mu'atim. In tikkun, oiris mu'atim be kelim mirubim. In toyu, you have a lot of light and small vessels. Big light, small vessels. Big energy, small containers. In Tikkun you have small energy, less energy, but large containers to contain them. The mile of Tikkun is integration, peace, harmony, unison. There's integration between the air and the Kali. The divine energy infuses the Kali and the Kali is inspired by it, it's defined by it. The chisarin of Tikkun is the light is much more compromised. The mile of Toyu is that the light is awesome, but the chisarin is it has no staying power. It, it remains completely above. On the debris of Toyu, Hashem built Olam HaTikun. Why? 
because ultimately integration between the two worlds is the ultimate purpose. Because Tayu has something to it that Tikkun will never have. So he didn't just want to destroy Tayu. He wanted Tayu. And Tayu gets destroyed. And now Tayu needs to be integrated within Tikkun. So in the ultimate Kavana, what you want is Eures the Tayu Bekelem the Tikkun. You want the chaotic light in the vessels of Tikkun. And for this, everybody has to go through a process. Tikkun has to be able to expand its Kalem, to be able to contain that light. And Toyu has to be able to allow Tikkun to integrate the light. So that's the process that both Yaakov and Esav have to go through in order to make peace between them. And in the ultimate world, you have the lights of Toyu in the vessels of Tikkun. So the vessels of Tikkun are not anymore limits, limit, limit uh, containers that limit and crush the light of Toyu, but they actually facilitate the light of Toyu. But for that, there's a process, both of Toyu and of Tikkun. So on the debris of Toyu, Tikkun was built. So everywhere in Tikkun you have shards, fragments, pieces, like after an explosion, you have all the debris of Toyu everywhere. In a person's own soul, you have the aspects of your soul that are from Tikkun, you have the aspects of your psyche that are from Toyu. Now some people are predominantly more than others. More than others. And this is a vernacular. In the Alter Rebbe's Torah, this is an exp- it becomes an expression. Right? You'll say, this is a toyu dika person. This is a tikkun dika person. It's a, it's a deep way of describing a personality. Stam, I'll tell you a, a memory. I once had it, but it, it describes a situation. It was one Simchas Torah. So uh, I was in 770. I was a child. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe was doing hakafas. It was maybe 10,000 people in the room. Legally, it's supposed to be 2,000 people in the room. It wasn't just packed. It was packed beyond packed. You threw a pin, it wouldn't land. So I was up in the front. So there was a particular Chabad Shliach who was extremely, extremely successful, but on the wild side. And he got a hakafa. So he went with a safer turn to the bima. He had to go walk far. The bima was down in the middle of the shul. It's a big shul. So he had to, it was towards the end. He had to walk down to the bima. So as he got his hefter from the Aaron Kodesh, he was walking to the bus, he happened to pass by the Rebbe. So uh, I was right there, so I heard it. I don't think anybody else heard it. So he looks at him, and I guess he kisses the Torah, and he looks at him, he gives a big smile, and he says, Nish Toihu. That was it. Nish Toihu. And he walked on. It was two words, but he was giving him a direction. Nish Toihu. Naturally, his Nish Toihu means not Toihu. No Toihu for you. In other words, he said it with a big smile, but he was telling him something. Your natural M.O., your modus operando is, toyu means you don't care about containers, you don't care about structure, you don't care about uh, people you're dealing with. You are, a wi- you're wild. You're wild. And the Rebbe knew his customers. He was, it was a very elegant way of teaching him, of, of directing him. And... Uh, Nishtoyu means you have to learn how to contain your lights, how to contain your energy. There's a beauty in Toyu. The beauty is you're a bulldozer. There's nothing that stops you. There's absolutely nothing that stops you. It's pure infinity. The problem is it doesn't have staying power. Because whenever you don't have containers, Kalim, the light will not be maintained. It will fade away into oblivion because you don't have the infrastructure to be able to contain it. You have great artists, for example who are unbelievable talents, tremendous creativity, and they end up addicted to all types of substances, or they'll sometimes take their lives even. Because, as an artist once described, what's the feeling when you're playing in front of 50,000 or 75,000 people who adore you, you, 
They, were, they will be ready to lick the saliva that comes out of your mouth. They will kiss the earth that you're walking on. You know, real mamish, mamish, real celebrities of that level, of that stature. And uh, you're beyond on top of the world. You're like a demigod. You're a semi-god worshipped and, and the crowd is, is hollering and cheering and high on you. And then, as I once asked one of these people, I said, what's the hardest moment? He says, the concert is over. And everybody leaves, and you're in backstage, and the janitor says, Hey, hey, go, let's go, 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 it's time to go, no, no more. You know, he was out, you know, that feeling, right? <laughs> and then he goes home, and if he has a wife, what do you think she says when he comes home? Take out the garbage. Take out the garbage, the garbage is coming tomorrow, 6 o'clock in the morning, I'm not getting up, so take out the garbage, you weren't home for a week. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? Because I'm God. Huh? I'm God. God doesn't take out garbage. 50,000 people would just lick my spit. If they would just know that they could drive me home, they would, they would sell their house to drive me home. Right? The taxi driver doesn't know who he is, and the janitor doesn't know who he is. His wife knows who he is. <laughs> That's her mila. So first of all, it's very hard to stay married for these people. Second of all, that high that you get, the intoxication that you get from that validation, from that attention, is intoxicating. How do you maintain that in normal life? You can't have it every second. So tomorrow night you'll have another one. It'll become bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm just giving one example where there's a tremendous amount of power and creativity and art, but to have an infrastructure, you need a lot of humility. You need a lot of bittle. And that takes a lot of internal work to be able to say, I will not operate only on a level of toyo. I will operate on a level of tikkun. The chisorin of tikkun is, it could kill creativity. <laughs> structure is awesome. But sometimes structure lacks the light. It lacks the intensity. The great dream is, can we integrate Esau and Yaakov? Can we integrate Esav and Yaakov? And different generations are prone to different forces more, and different personalities are prone to different forces more. Some people are intoxicated by structure. In other words, they're intoxicated by monotony. <laughs> what makes them high is boredom. The more boring their day is, the better it is. They just love it. They thrive on it. And I should say, I once asked somebody what made them become a Balchuva. And they told me they love the fact that God tells them what to do every minute. They love it. They love that 921 Savzman Krishna. 1021 Savzman Tfila. Plag, we're going for Mincha. They love that idea because Halach is very structured. Shabbos, Yomtev, Alois, Nates, Shkia. Who even knows the difference between Alois and Nates, right? Go to a regular crowd, yeah? Dawn, dawn break, sunrise. Maybe if you learned something in high school, you had to deal with astronomy. You learned about dawn break, sunrise, right? But here it's a whole mahalach, yeah? Uh, 451, Karbonis. 519, Hoidu. Uh, three seconds later, Yehich Void. Uh, nine minutes later, Baruch. Uh, one minute, you miss sunrise. It's like, well. So the truth is, there's something very deep about it because it's rhythm. It's the beat. It's understanding nature. It's, it's learning the structure of the universe. But you can understand that for some people it kills the light. But on the other hand, without Caleb, you're not going to have a light. Another example, and this played itself out in history many different times, is 
revolutions of the first generation and then of the second generation. All revolutions, the first generations, are often very successful because they ignite the idealism of the youth. What happens when the revolution is actually successful and they take over? Now you have a second and third generation who are born into it, and now it's not about the spirit anymore because you don't have to revolt, you don't have to fight, you don't have to die for it. Now you have to live for it. To live for it on a daily basis, you don't have that romantic drama. Take, for example, Zionism. The kibbutz movement. The early Zionists, they would sacrifice their lives. Literally, they put it on the line. And they were successful. They created a state. Now you have a second, a third, fourth generation. A lot of them is like, you know, I'm not interested. The passion is not there. Because to create containers is often much harder than to generate light. To create containers, you have to be able to know how to translate the light into a daily ideal that continues on in high moments and in low moments. Yitzchak, in many ways, had to have more depth than Avram. Avram was the revolutionary. Yitzchak created containers. He dug wells. It's not an exciting thing to dig wells. But it creates containers. It creates places where the water could stay. Yitzchak was internal. He wasn't external. Containers are always very internal. They're deep, and they don't have the fanfare and the drama of the energy. Avram was the revolutionary, but without Yitzchak, there would have been nothing left to Avram. Look at the Esanefesh Asherasu Bukharim. What happened to all of Avram's chevra? They disappeared. The Meiri says that Avram converted half of more than half of humanity. In Prikayav is the beginning. So Avram influenced more than half of civilization at the time. What happened to them? They all disappeared. They all faded away. Because Yitzchak wasn't as charismatic as Avram. He wasn't the same extrovert as Avram. Yitzchak was an introverted person. Avram is chesed. Yitzchak is gura. They looked at Yitzchak. They said, Sinishdos. Boom, next. They weren't ready for the humility of kalim, of containers. In many ways, this was the mile of the Magid over the Balshamta. Balshamtav traveled. The Magid of Mezuj didn't travel. He remained in one place his whole life. They came to him. The Balshamtav was a, was a nuclear energy. The Magid created the containers for the Balshamtav. It's a whole different avoid. Kalim are always quiet, they're always subtle. So, but Tikkun was built on the debris of Toyu, because there's Toyu everywhere. So, in people's psyches, you'll see there are people who are prone to Tikkun, there are people who are prone to Toyu. And even people who are prone to one or the other, there will be moments of life, and you could say, this is a moment of Toyu. Generally, a moment of Toyu means when something is very powerful and it can't be integrated. Psychologically, it's a moment that has a lot of energy, but no containers. Now, you could let that destroy you, or you could say, no, my challenge is to open up my kalim to that energy. But when there's an energy that's very powerful and overwhelming, that's an energy of Toyu, which is always makif. It's not integrated. Your kalim are not big enough for it. They're small. So they work with oir of tikkun, not with oir of toyu. Oir of toyu is very, very powerful. That's the oir of Esav. On another level, it's the oir of Leah. Vayar Hashem, Kisnu Leah. As we learned in the Maimur of Tov Kofayim Beis last week, right? It's an oir that is, doesn't sit well with me. I'm not comfortable with it. And you have to open yourself up to it. So now what happens here is, you understand? You're typhus. So toyu and tikkun is the theme that's always playing out in life. And that's why moments of, of, of crisis or moments of overwhelming pressure are often moments that can be become moments of deep healing and deep creativity. And they can unleash usually your deepest greatness if you know how to channel the toyu and not just let it remain 
an overwhelming experience that you completely can't integrate. But there's always tension between the two worlds because they're opposite worlds. And Toyu was destroyed in order to build Tikkun on the debris of Toyu. And that's why there's an expression in Chassidus, you'll always have any people, people who learn any Sifra Chassidus, they read this, but they don't know what it is. They just read it. It's called Nitzutzis. You'll always hear the word Birur HaNitzutzis, right? Everyone knows this. All Shalashudas, Chassidus, Shatayrus. Daf Mavarazan de Nitzutzis. Nitzutzik Dusha. Malazan de Nitzutzis. So these are words, you know, Chassidim grow up with in their culture. doesn't mean anything to them. Nitzutzis. More Nitzutzis. More Nitzutzis. Sparks. Sparks of what? When? It's a very profound idea. Nitzutzis means, Nitzutzis sparks are not flames, but they're sparks. Sparks have to be fanned into flames. Everywhere there are sparks of Olam HaToyu. And when you see those sparks, you could run away, or you could say, wow, this is a place where I want to spend time. Avoidus Habirurim means to be mevarred in the tzutzis of Toyu and extract them from the shells that eclipse their real light. Because really it's a very powerful light that fell down in the kalim that swallowed them up. But there's a lot of tzutzis there. And to be able to sublimate those tzutzis, those sparks, which are everywhere, in ourselves and in people and in everything we come into contact with, it's the ability not to become a victim, but rather to elevate the spark, to sublimate the spark. And for that, you have to have that clarity and that depth that only Tikkun can provide. And that's why the brachas ultimately have to go to Yaakov to one day deliver them to Esav. Not that Esav doesn't need them. Esav is the one who needs them. But Yaakov is the one who's like the mafkid. He's ho- the nifkid, I'm sorry. He's the one who's holding on to the pikadin for, for, for Esav. And that's why when Esav breaks down crying, why, ca- why did he steal the brachas from me? It's this innocent Esav, because it's the makif of Esav that's yearning for another chance. It's like, why, why did this happen? Almost on a superconscious level, he's crying and he doesn't even know why he's crying. He doesn't understand how deeply it affects him. But he's really weeping and crying, even though tomorrow he's going to go do Kaldavar Asa Shabbalah. So the Gemara says, Baal Nairam, or Rasen, and all the, all the nice things, or, or not nice things that Esav did. And then the same Esav is busy wondering, how do you give Meiser from straw and, 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 and salt? So some people say he's just a hypocrite at Rasha Merusha, low life, don't trust him. Dr. Rebbe says, no, don't, don't dismiss it so easily. You have to understand the tragedy of Esav. Both are true. Ein Shem Shemayim Shagab And on the other hand, he's so idealistic, he wants to know how you give Meiser from straw. Even straw he wants to give Meiser from. He's so idealistic, he cares about mice in New Zealand. He will invest millions of dollars for research of saving whales in Indonesia. Right? Global warming could make him cry. Could make him cry. He'll start crying about global warming. Right? And then and the tycoons are like, you know, Nochamashugana. And, uh, and, and he'll cry. And in some funny ways, it's like an expression. <laughs> it's an expression, even if it's often distorted and completely not integrated. And when he'll come to a terrorist suddenly, the terrorist becomes the Tzadik Hadar, because he's a freedom fighter, and it's not a stira. It's completely not a stira, because that's what Makif is. Structure always comes... If you're, if you're in Tayu, structure is the biggest bitl. Because it defies you. It defies you. Both. <laughs> By defining you, it defies you. <laughs> you don't want to be defined. Who wants to be defined? You don't want to break it. You want to channel it. You want it to be eternal. You want it to be eternal. You know the Maharal, the famous Maharal. Ah. 
tell you an experience I once had that brought the two visions to my life very clearly. I was invited to Israel to speak for a national Israel, a national uh, convention for women in Israel, in Israel, in Binyanei Ha'omah in Jerusalem. You know Binyanei Ha'omah? It's one of the largest, maybe the largest auditorium in, in Israel, in Yerushalayim for sure. So there were like, I don't know, 6,000 women in the crowd, or more or less around that time. It was, you know, they have those lights so you can't see anybody. You just stand on stage. You have to make believe you see everybody, but your mom is blinded. But you can't tell anybody that I'm blinded and this is ridiculous. But it's, a, you know, it's just a lot of theatrics. So I did, I, 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 I was giving the keynote speech at this convention. It was a convention of a few days. And uh, I did my thing, I did my thing, whatever it was, I had a half an hour, probably 40 minutes, and I got a standing ovation for a long time, and you know, women are not like men, they get inspired faster and less defense mechanisms, etc., present company excluded, of course, and uh, okay, so it was very nice, and I'm walking out, so you walk out, you know, a big speech, people follow, so I don't know, like 150 women following me. I don't. I hope it comes out. Uh, comes out right. But you get the point. And uh, to ask questions, of course. Yeah, to ask questions. <laughs> to ask questions. So, uh, so I'm walking out. So this one has this question, and what does this mean? And what do I do about my shalom bias? And could you help my 15-year-old boy? And my nine-year-old doesn't want to go to school. And my 14-year-old has happened. And this one, whatever you know, all these types of questions and. Uh, so as they're, they're talking and complimenting and giving me accolades, the, my cell phone rings, I take a look, I see it's my wife from New York. So I, I pick up the phone. My wife tells me, you know, it's uh, very nice that uh, you go to Israel and you inspire people. But this house here is, is chaotic. It's chaotic. So I'm like, uh, okay, give me one minute, Esty. I put on the phone and then this woman is like, could you move here? Could you just move here? And then another one is like, said, could you come here every week? I'll pay a first class ticket for you to come every week and speak to us. I'm like, sure, one minute. Yes. My wife is like, you know, the kids are going to need therapy when they get older. They're not going to have a father, absentee. You're busy saving the world, neglecting your family. I'm like, Esty, one minute. Rabbi Jacobson, you were amazing. It was unbelievable. You were incredible. I'm like, sure, it's wonderful. One minute. And my wife is like, you know, you have to really make a choice who you are and what God wants. And this is really not working. It's miserable over here. And I'm like, one minute. And then the women are like, well, this is like the best thing that ever happened. God sent you here and so forth. And the contrast was a very vivid contrast. It would have been very easy for me to hang up the phone and say, I'll call you, you know, when I get to the hotel and take in all the accolades, which felt, frankly, very, very good, very validating. But there was a part of me that knew very clearly that the contrast is an important contrast. Because here, it's going to go for five minutes, ten minutes. If I stay around, it'll be an hour, it'll be three hours, whatever it is. And ultimately, the phone call that was coming from New York, thousands and thousands of miles away, was somebody who really cares about me who's connected to me, who makes sacrifices for me, who wants to build something real with me. It's not just inspiration and, and, and accolades and, and, and a standing ovation and so on and so forth. But the latter is always far more, it takes much more discipline and much more sacrifice and much more humility and much more commitment because it's not Iris, it's always in Caleb. And to channel it in Caleb is a very humbling experience. <laughs> 
And it's choices that people always have to make between the two. On the other hand, there's something bohemian and infinitely available, uh, exciting about no kalim. It's like endless possibilities, right? That's why today so many people don't want to get married. A guy told me, uh, Jew in Manhattan, a farmer says, tell me one logical reason I should get married. Give me one reason, one reason. For romance, marriage kills romance. The suspense is much better. He says, for enjoyment, today after the 60s, you don't have to get married to have enjoyment. He says, to have a friend, they remain friends with you if you're not married to them. The moment you're married, it's ice friends. You know, you're sitting, sitting each other on each other's head, quetching and complaining. He says, tell me one logical reason. I once asked, uh, I once uh, asked Jackie Mason, you know who that is? He repeats a lot of my jokes. So uh, I once asked him, so he's an Alta Yiddish He's oh, His name is not Jackie Mason, his name is Yaakov Maza. I know his real name. His name is Yaakov Maza. Jackie became, Yaakov became Jackie, Maza became Mason. So I once, yeah. He was also, he was also. <laughs> He was also, he got smicha, and the congregants were telling me, you're in the wrong job. You'll become a comedian, you'll make a better parnosa. So, kachav, his brother's also a rav. So, I once asked him if he regrets that he never got married. Okay, so he gave me a whole Jackie Mason answer, it's not for now. But then he told me, he says, my father used to say that marriage is an institution. I never want to be institutionalized. Okay. It's an institution. I don't want to be institutionalized. So you could look at it that way. So you have here a contrast of two opposing forces. And one has milers that the other one doesn't have. And one has to acknowledge that. And what happens often is, the tragedy is that Tikkun shuts down to Taihu because it's threatened by it. We're threatened by bohemian energy. A lot of us are threatened by free spirit. We don't like free spirit. We want you to be in the containers because you don't threaten us. But a tikkun that's threatened by toihu is ultimately a tikkun that's betraying its mission. The mission of tikkun is not to be threatened by toihu, but to ultimately expand its containers and contain toihu. And that's a completely different educational, spiritual, and psychological model. What are you thinking? Something new. It's something new, huh? Mm. I, I think most people are, are are afraid of themselves that they're going to go off the derrick. When, once you release those those boundaries, you know. Right. So you're, you're more afraid than you don't like it. Right. You're scared of it. Right. They're like the gates on the ghettos, you know. Right, right. People are afraid of themselves, of their own energy. So they don't even allow their own energy to be expressed to themselves because it could be dangerous. But you know what? At the end of the day, God trusts your energy, you have to trust it. <laughs> I think that you're going to fail. Or, fail 100% you don't try. Or, or, you'll, or you'll become infinite. One of the two. So is that paradigm shift, uh, like a locomotive coming in, with a total coming in once Tikkun, right. and a person can rise to the gate of it? Right. How do you find that moment of, uh, as a moment of healing? Yes, it's a moment of healing because uh, if you don't make peace with Toyu, ultimately Yaakov cut off his brother. It's a part of him. They're twins. Toyu and Tikkun are twins. They come really from the same, like all twins. What do they come? 
they split, but they come from the same uh, the same seed, right? And then they split. Okay, there's two types of twins, but the, the, they come from the same shayrish, they come from the same mucker. They both come from divine energy. And they manifest themselves in two different ways. And Toyu goes through a traumatic process. In Toyu, there's trauma. But the trauma of Toyu comes because of its power, because of its beauty, because of its infinity, not because of its essential evil. Tikkun doesn't experience trauma, because in Tikkun there's never a break. There's never a breakdown. In Toyu, there's trauma. And the Toyu after the trauma is not recognizable. It doesn't recognize itself anymore. It's lost in translation. It's lost in translation. That's what's called Shvira Sakel. Is this a, a moral question or a psychological question? <laughs> well, you want to know if you should encourage it as a therapist? Listen, there are moments, I would say essentially this was probably the core issue of the Machlaikas of the Vilna Gaon against the, against the Baal Shem Tov. Probably this issue. The way it was garbed was in different words, but this was the real issue. Why expose the masses to nuclear energy? Don't do it. Keep it structured and let the few people who get it have access to it. Um, I think the Balshemtiv's argument was nuclear energy has been exposed in the world. <laughs> it's a nuclear race. If Kedusha doesn't compete on that level, if Yiddishkeit, all Yiddishkeit has to say is we, we know how to follow tradition and we have good chicken soup and if you stick here, you'll have you'll be able to go to the chasen of your kids. It's powerful. Maybe it's powerful. But ultimately, you lost the energy of the world. And you will lose the energy of millions. Because people have very deep souls, and they're expressing them, and they're searching for them. So if Yiddishkeit can't contain the kalim for Olam HaToyu, ultimately you will, lo- you will lose generations and generations, especially as the world progresses, it's supposed to be that way. People will be looking for a deeper relationship with God. In the world of Mashiach, for example, the motivation is not going to be reward and punishment. The motivation is going to be, I want a relationship. I want truth. I want real, real truth. But truth is powerful. Truth is deep. Truth is raw. Truth is naked. And yet... I think we say every morning, people have to understand their limits. And for a person to say, I'm a free spirit and therefore I go everywhere, I do everything, is often suicidal. So you can't become this delusion, and that's where halacha comes in. Halacha is a very powerful parameter to examine where you're really going. If you're ultimately worshipping your quest or you're worshipping God, that's the key. You'll see in all the Maimarim, when people get into it, they can become frustrating because the Alter Rebbe will never allow a person to just allow their awareness to take them wherever their awareness wants to take them. He will always at the end come back and say, Yosef. 
The problem of the Saramashkin was he didn't he forgot what Yosef is all about, as we learned in Mikates. In other words, at some point he will say, and what does God want? And what does God want with this? If not, it becomes self-worship. I worship my, my spirit, my identity. And the ultimate question is, what are you needed for in life? What are you needed for in life? And that's where the art takes you back to Caleb. But that's a very powerful challenge that a person can have. That makes the key distinction between a life with Allah, a life without Allah, a life with Torah, a life without Torah. Sometimes there's stages in life where a person ha- is entitled to say, and they needed to say, I can't think for a few years. I can't think for a few years. It's, it's not for me. Sometimes there's room for that. Sometimes there's room for that. Sometimes you have to know who you are, what your limits are, and the most important thing for you is to live, not to die. God doesn't need you to die. Sometimes there's room for that. There's no question. Huh? But not out of fear, not out of insecurity, not out of the need to crush. Simply for a person who understands we all have limits and we have to respect them. We have to know who you are, have to know who your children are. I mean, all, you know, in an ideal world, it's different. We don't live in an ideal world. Right? The Gemara says, you tell a Nazir, don't get close to a vineyard. Don't get close to a vineyard. People who struggle, especially with certain, you know, you have a, a, a heavy crush on somebody, or a heavy crush on a particular substance. The bohemian spirit can just make you, just destroy you. You have to say, this is what I struggle with. I can't go there. I cannot go there. It's just who I am. We, we're, we're also weak. We're strong, but we're weak. So I think that's part of it, you know, acknowledging that and not being in denial of it. I think it's a very important idea. So a kid who's like, and the mother always praise him like, wow, look at you, you don't have to shot my heart. No. You're only five years old. <laughs> that, the parent has to say, listen, you're still a kid, you have to go to bed, then you can be, yeah, you always need a balance. You always need a balance between Oyer and Kaylee, always. But I'll tell you where the issue comes out. You have a father who sometimes struggles with a child. You'll see two types of fathers or mothers. You'll have a father who sees things in his child that scare him very deeply. Let's call it Tayu. Okay? If he never made peace with his Tayu, if, as Dr. Lamb says, he came and said, I shut down, I don't deal with this, what he sees in his child will drive him mad. Until his last breath, he will not forgive his child. He will fight him and fight him and fight him because his child is bringing up everything in him that he doesn't want to see and he ran away from. And their relationship will deteriorate from day to day, from week to week. He will judge him, he will get him angry, and he will start hating him. And he'll throw him out of the house. And he'll justify it in the name of God, always. Always in the name of God. But now take Yitzchak and Esav. Yitzchak was a big tzaddik. Esav was a big Russia. Yitzchak was not naive. That's why he wasn't upset at Rivka. But Yitzchak understood very well Toyo. And he made space for it in his soul. So Esav did not drive him mad. He could love Esav. And he could remain connected to Esav through thick and thin. Why? Not because he agreed with Esav's decisions. 
Not because he didn't want Esav should be- live a different life, but because he knew the Esav within himself. And whenever you know that within yourself, it doesn't frighten you to the point that you have to destroy the other person. You don't have to destroy the other person. You have to embrace the other person. You have to, sometimes you disagree. That's fine. You have a different value system. But you're not destroyed by the other person because he's triggering realities in you that you deal, you deal with, you understand them, you have a place for them, and you even understand the certain kedusha that exists in them. It's a whole different way of education. You don't compromise. Today, people often, they look at two extremes. There's the liberal education, and there's the conservative education. Right? There, 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 the person who has no spine, who doesn't stand up for Messiah, who doesn't tell the kids, it's not how we do it. And then there's the fathers who are mechanech. Again, black and white. Understanding the child doesn't mean, right, you sold your soul. On the contrary, it means that your kalim are not kalim that are afraid of Ur. They're not afraid. And therefore, they can appreciate and tune into the world of the other and embrace the journey of the other person even though there may be some disagreements. And at the end of the day, it won't be so simple to create a reconciliation on the most optimal level. And you'll see this throughout with Yitzchak. He'll do it with Esau, not only with Esau, he'll do it with Esau's son. It's a fascinating thing. Rashi says on this week's parasha, I passed the Jordan with my stick. So what does Rashi say? My stick, he had nothing else. You send your son away for 20 years. How wealthy was Yitzchok? He was a multimillionaire. He can't give Yaakov a million dollars to be able to buy a house, to be able to buy a car, to be able to shtel of a family, a stick you give him, not even a tuna sandwich. So what does Rashi say in Vayetze? Why did Yaakov cry when he met Rachel? He says, Avi Abba of Ram, when he sends Eliezer just to get a girl for a shidduch for a few days, what does he send him with? An entourage, ten camels, ten people, it gives them everything. Why? To impress the Mechutten. It's very important to impress the Mechutten. Especially if they're from Iraq. I, I didn't come here for a few days to get a Shidduch. I came here to live for years and years. I have nothing. Nothing. Avram gives Eliezer everything. Yitzchak couldn't give Yaakov. Psabisal Nadin. A little money. This is how a Yiddish Shidduch is made. So what does Rashi say from the Medrash? What's the story? He gave him a lot. Esau sent his son Eliphaz to go kill Yaakov. He comes to Yaakov and he wants to kill him. Because he grew up in the bosom of Yitzchak, he couldn't kill Yaakov. On the other hand, Kibodov and Esau's family was top priority. So he tells Yaakov as a rov, Ma the Tata, the Tzaddik, wants me to kill you. I can't kill you because I know you. But my father said to kill you. So Yaakov says a shear. And Yaakov says, Oni chashav kemes. So take away all my money. <laughs> take, I understand. Why doesn't Yaakov tell him, Your father's a tzedreiter, ritzeach, rosh, merusha, terrorist. Yaakov has given him a shear. Take away all my money. And Oni chashav kemes. And b'meile. It's fine. And Eliphaz does it. You have a sprach with him, so Yaakov comes broke. It's a funny thing, yeah? It's a mod nezach. 
And who did, where did Alifas go? Becheker Shal Yitzchak. Who was Alifas? So if you know the Rashi's in Vayishlach, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, uh, Alifas was more corrupt than Esav. Rashi brings from the Pesukim, it's Gemara in Sanhedrin, what Alifas did. Alifas lived with the wife of his father. Had a child, Kairach. Alifas yeah. lived with the wife of another man and had a child, Timna. And then he married his own daughter. And from that came out Amalek. So you have your Atzatzke on all levels. Yitzchak, the Pasuk says and told us, was a Novi. Elifaz is growing up. What should have Yitzchak told Elifaz? Elifaz, take a hike. God al Yitzchak. He grew up in the bosom of Yitzchak, in the bosom. Yitzchak spent time with him, Yitzchak was makar of him, knowing, and this person became a mushchus, a mushchus, and be'emes a mushchus. Married his own daughter, and Sheva Mitzvah, by Goyim, it's unheard of. You don't marry your daughter, you don't have intimacy with your daughter. And from that, Taka came Amalek, a, a great product, a great, uh, a great bachiral, Amalek. But Yitzchak, not only did not throw him out of the house, he raised him. So you look at the story, you say, okay, he wasted his time. <laughs> He was busy being Makarev, a Rosh Marusha. Wait, he wasted his time? Or maybe he saved the whole Klal Yisrael because of that? What would have happened if not? Alifas would go and murder Yaakov. And not one of us would be sitting here today. Not one Jew would be alive today. Why? Because Yaakov would have been dead before he got married. Because Yitzchak spent time with Alifas and gave him his soul, the entire Jewish people was saved. From being Makariv, not a Jewish kid. This is a non-Jewish kid. A non-Jewish kid. And not a good non-Jewish kid. Beyond OTD. And because of that, the Jewish people were saved. How does Yitzchak do this? Yitzchak is a Navi. Yitzchak is Yiris Hashem. Yitzchak is Pachad. Yitzchak more than Avram. Avram Mele, love, love, love. Yitzchak is Gvuri, Yire, Yire, Elifaz. Ace of Melops, your son. Elifaz, Machla'enikol. The pshat is because the real Yiris Hashem, the real Yiris Hashem never comes from fear of reality, from fear of truth. Yiris Hashem, on the contrary, means endless commitment to truth. And therefore, Yitzchak Avinu can create space in his soul for the reality of Esau, for the reality of Eliphas. And he could understand the makif, and he could try to bring it out in them. He doesn't. He's not judgmental. He doesn't have to destroy them because they're not triggering in him things that he's frightened of within himself. Because he is wholesome, because he's expansive. So therefore, fakert, he could see the spark and he could see the distortion, and he could take do bitter and tzutzis. He could take do avodas How much the success rate is? Listen, people have pchira. Yitzchak can't live anybody's life. Esav has pchira and Elifaz has pchira. They made their pchira. Leah made her pchira. You see? Leah also had challenges. Leah made her pchira. Made, but that's what Yitzchak accomplished. And Lepoya, look what happened. The Jewish people were saved. That's the key difference. Okay. The host material. Huh? Ah, the maral. I'll tell you a story. I'll finish with a story. Um, uh, I was invited to speak at a... Uh, <laughs> another mice of mine. I was invited to speak at a mudim. It was a, a Yitzvi Glock. He's an Askin and... 
he deals a lot with uh, issues of abuse. He made an organization called Amudim that brings together Jewish social organizations that deal with uh, kids at risk. So he had 80 organizations. They met for two days in Deal, New Jersey. So, of course, you know, you eat and you go to sessions, then you go back to eat. It's Jewish conventions. The focus is the food, and you do a lot of sessions. So I was invited to, to give the keynote address one morning there by breakfast, after breakfast. Shut. So when everybody was eating their corn, their healthy corn muffins with omelets, so I gave a speech, and I finished. So a yid came over to me. His name is Dr. David Pelkowitz. He's a professor of psychology in Yeshiva University. And he's been a therapist, I think, for around 35 years. I think he lives in New Jersey. And he says, Rabbi Jacobson, I want to share with you a personal experience that I had. And he shared with me the following experience. It's a whole long story. I'm going to tell you about Kitsa Devart. He says, many years ago, a boy came to see him in his office, around 15-year-old boy, Erich, 15 or 16. What was the issue? The issue was he did, couldn't make it in any yeshiva. Every yeshiva, a few weeks, a few days, he was thrown out. And at the age of 15, there's probably nine yeshivas. Came from a very prominent Torah-focused family in Flatbush. Father wanted him to go to therapy. Belkowitz tells me, you know, sometimes a patient comes in and you see there's absolutely nothing wrong. <laughs> he says, I love this kid. great kid, smart, interesting, sharp, charismatic, talented. I'm thinking to myself, he doesn't need therapy. He's pretty good off. <laughs> People just don't know how to deal with him. Um, uh, so I tell him, he tells me that I tell him, next week, bring in your family. Bring in your father, your mother, your brothers, your sisters. And if you have grandparents, bring in your grandparents. So to me, it was surprising that to Belkovitz, I never heard a therapist brings in a Zayd and a Bubba to therapy. You can ask the Holocaust survivor, what are your feelings about your mother? Yeah. Who even had a mother? If you had a mother, you were happy. Right? It's not a generation that was busy analyzing, dissecting emotions. If you, were, you stayed alive, it was already a Ness. So he says, you're right, but I had a hunch that the grandparents should be there. So he followed his hunch, interestingly. So the next week they came in. So he asked the father to speak why he wanted a son in therapy. So the father says, listen, we have a family of such B'nai Torah. And he goes down the list. You know, this one is a Rosh Hashiva, this one is a Magad this one Rosh Kail, this one finishes Daf Yomi seven times. This one gives a Shein Daf Yomi six times a day, before Alois, after Alois, before Shachas, after Vesitya, nine o'clock, nine o'clock. This one is this, this one made Hatzalah, this one is Rosh Hashanah, this one runs this, this one is the biggest Baal Chesed in the continent. And then his daughters, his daughters are Mamer, Shechei, Sarah, Rivka, Rachaleah, graduates of the best seminaries, and they're their husbands. So they have one boy, one boy, and Mamer, Tabusha. Abusha wastes his time. Good head, wastes his time, doesn't learn a thing. And I feel bad for him. I love him and I feel bad for us. It's very embarrassing. So the Zayda, the father of the boy, gets up and he says he wants to say something. And he tells everybody a story. He says that he grew up in Poland. And he had a huge family and everybody was in yeshiva. And he was the only kid who was, you know, today they would diagnose him with all the diagnoses. He was out of yeshiva. So he was very street smart. He was savvy. He was shrewd. He was sharp. And he says one day, he was out there in 1938, and he picked up a book, Mein Kampf, by Adolf Hitler, Yamach Shemoy. He comes home and he tells his father, Tata, Poland is on the border of Germany. Hitler is going to do what he says he's going to do. There won't be anybody left. Let's take the family and run before it's too late. Father looks at me and says, Head of Red Stop speaking nonsense. You speak like this because you're not learning. 
If you would sit and learn like your brothers, you wouldn't read this stupid material and you wouldn't speak like this. He says, Father, listen, I should be learning, I should be in yeshiva, that's true. But you know that I'm sharper than my brothers, <laughs> and you know that I'm smart, and you know that I'm savvy, and you know that I have feelings for things, and I'm right. And I'm telling you, there won't be left a Jew in Poland. We should run. My father rebuked me and chastised me. He says, this is, you patters that sight, you're wasting your time. And I told my father, I'm going to have to run alone. I'm not staying. And I left my family, and I crossed the Atlantic Ocean, 1938. He says, I was the only survivor. My entire family was murdered. I was the only survivor. Then he says, I look at all my grandchildren, and I ask myself, is there anyone who's like me? And that boy I always saw was my replica. So all of you should have respect for this boy because none of you would be able to sit and learn today. You wouldn't be alive if not for me, and if not for a boy like him who was different, but because of him you're all alive today. No, no one of you should ever disrespect this person or put him down because it's only because of a spirit like his that all of you are alive today. He sat down. Bhagavad says there was stunned silence in the room. You can imagine. You can imagine. They didn't know the story. He says, I wanted to share this with you. So I look at him. I say, listen, you can't tell me a story and not finish it. It doesn't work. In my, uh, in my work, uh, so he says, what do you want to know? That's the story. I says, Heint. Who halt is Heint? He says, Heint. He says, I'll tell you. The grandfather had a huge successful business. He was very wealthy. In fact, he said in the meeting, he told his son that if you continue this path, I'm going to erase you from my will. <laughs> if you continue this path, I'm going to erase you from my will. Classic Holocaust survivor who's fearless, who made a lot of money. He said he took his grandson into his business. So I said, what's now? He says, today that boy runs the whole business and all of his brothers work for him. <laughs> that requires perspective requires vision. doesn't mean there's no challenge to deal with. But it means you understand souls, you understand energies, and you don't create boxes. And when somebody doesn't fit into your box, you go crazy mad. doesn't work that way. And the, the result is from one extreme to another extreme. Because of this attitude, ultimately... The Jewish people were saved, both in this story and in Alifas' story. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.